Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, November 1st edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Yeah, a new month. We flipped the calendar uh, to a new month, usually the second month of the NHL season. Obviously, that is not the case right now. In a a couple moments, we'll get to a conversation I was able to have with former Flyers interim head coach Scott Gordon, who is now, once again, the head coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. We'll talk about evaluating young players and knowing when they're ready to make the jump to the NHL, how you gauge that while playing in the AHL. Also, Talk about the players when he gets them to the AHL, whether they come from the college route where maybe they're a little bit older and more developed physically or coming from major, junior, or other areas. So we'll talk to Scott Gordon about that and much more. And we do have some news to talk about as well in this episode. First and foremost, coming up on Wednesday's episode, you're going to hear two Flyer prospects. Linus Sandin will join us from Sweden. His season is underway playing over in Sweden. We'll talk to him about that. And also going to talk with Flyers prospect, probably the the Flyers top prospect. That would be Morgan Frost, who got into 20 games this year and picked up his first two NHL goals. Again, that's coming up on Wednesday's episode. We do have some news from the Hockey Hall of Fame before we get to our guest on this episode, who is Scott Gordon. The Hockey Hall of Fame has made a decision regarding inducting its next class, and it's They put out a statement on Friday that reads as follows, quote, the magic of the induction weekend from the perspective of the new inductees is participating in several days of close interaction with family, friends, former teammates, fellow legends and fans. Lanny McDonald, who is the chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame, said he went on to say on that premise, the board felt that this was the right decision to bestow upon the class of 2020 the recognition and lifetime experience they so richly deserve and always consistent with past induction classes. So they're not going to have a class this year. Class of 2020 will be honored as a standalone class during the 2021 Hockey Hall of Fame induction weekend slash celebration. So no class will be named for the year of 2021. So those players like Jeremy Roenick, still trying to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, I'd have to sweat out that date this year because they will not be inducting a class. And again, the class will go in next year as a standalone class and not combine the two. Players going into that class will be Marion Hosa, Jerome McGinley, Kevin Lowe, Kim St. Pierre, and Doug Wilson. In the player category, Ken Holland, who's now the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, of course, was the general manager uh, in Detroit for so long. He goes in in the builder category, and uh, all the other inductees and people knocking on that door, like I said, will have to wait an extra year to see if they make it into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, another piece of pretty big news came out uh, on Thursday and Friday as Darren Dreger from TSM was reporting that the OHL has banned body checking from their upcoming season. Now, they're slated to start their season coming up on February 4th. Lisa McLeod, who is a sport, tourism, and culture minister in Ontario, was the one saying that that there would be no body checking in the OHL this coming season. Kind of odd to have that uh, being said this early when the season is not even slated to start until February 4th. In Ontario, they do have a rule there right now that their public health officials have been uh, put in place and have been very clear and deliberate with that no contact while playing sports is permitted. Now, it begs a couple of questions. Number one, is there science behind the fact that you know the coronavirus is transmissible through body contact in sports? We see the NFL playing. Uh, There's not just 
two players contacting each other on every play. There's several players. Look at the offensive and defensive line. Do we know that transmission happens that way? We don't have that answer. So what I want to do here is I want to read you this string of tweets that Bob McKenzie put out from TSN because this is applicable to the NHL as well. As they start to assemble their return to play committee, they have 13 players already. They did have some conversations last week and starting to assemble that entire committee. Only five players were part of the return to play committee to bring the the league back for the playoffs and handing out the cup. Uh, So far, they have 13 right now, may have upwards of around 24, and they'll start those meetings to discuss the return to play. But in Bob McKenzie's string of tweets, he he brings up several angles of consideration. So I'm going to read them for you. Again, this is in response to Lisa McLeod, the minister in Ontario, saying that no body checking would take place in the OHL. And this is what Bob McKenzie said. So many questions, and I'm not professing to have all the answers. Number one, can someone explain to me how so-called body checking is inherently more threatening regarding COVID than standard battles for the puck that are essential aspects of even playing so-called non-contact hockey. He also went on to say, do the Ontario doctors advising the government on this have different or better information than their counterparts in other provinces? The BCHL has been playing games this season. I presume Dr. Bonnie Henry signed off on those. He also said, what purpose or whose interest does it serve to make absolute pronouncements that effectively go viral in October for something that, if it happens, won't take place until February. He also said, are we in agreement that safety needs to be paramount at all times? Actually, I do have the answer on that one. Yes, I do, however, remain curious on other questions and why this issue is so front and center right now. Again, the OHL is not slated to start their season until February 4th. Well, it's certainly this has caused a huge stir in hockey circles, wondering how major junior players in the OHL, part of their development to try and get to the NHL, are going to play this sport without contact. Now, you've been in hockey growing up, you start checking at the Bantam age. So that is 12, 13 years old. To just turn that off when everything instinctually and the way you operate on the ice, the way you play, the way you gain position, the way you clear a crease, the way you create separation, the way you take away time, all has to do with the physical aspects of the game. Checking isn't just blowing a guy up with an open ice hit or crushing him against the boards. There's so many other elements to it. But the good news here for hockey fans is Doug Ford, who is the premier of Ontario, did uh, speak out on it and tweeted this. He said, we are engaging with the OHL to create a safe return to play plan which will need to be approved by health experts. To date, no decisions have been made. I would like to see the OHL return as normal as possible with body checking. So that's good news for hockey fans. Obviously, the Premier can overrule the Minister, so we'll see how this plays out. But uh, I just can't imagine players at that level trying to play basically beer league hockey or shinny hockey and not being able to check. And with the NHL starting to plan its return to play, presumably in January. We'll see how some of those questions that Bob McKenzie brought up get answered. But let's get to my interview right now. Uh, He came up with the Flyers last year and took over the bench when Dave Haxtell was relieved of his duties. Scott Gordon did a great job with the Flyers, got them back into the playoff mix after ultimately fading and not making the playoffs last year. And he went back and uh, became the head coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms this past season. And he's our guest on this episode of Flyers Daily. Very excited to have Jordan. I haven't talked to him in a while and excited to get his uh, in, uh, his take on what's going on in our world uh, and on a few players and much more. 
uh, former Flyers interim coach and head coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, Scott Gordon, joins us on Flyers Daily. Scott, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I wish it was under different circumstances because I'm sure you've been in the game for a long time now. You, you played, you played in the NHL, you played at all different levels. You've been coaching for a long time now, and, and it's got to feel weird to you like it does me and so many hockey people in hockey and hockey fans that the game is not being played right now at the highest levels. Is it kind of, is your biorhythm a little off because of that? Definitely. It's, uh, you know, it's one thing to not go to training camp, but, um, you know, when October rolls around and the season starts, you know, there's a feeling that, uh, that you're not accustomed to, you know, you're doing things that you don't normally do and it doesn't feel right. And um, at the end of the day, you know, trying to fill out a day and keep yourself busy. Um, you know, when you're coaching, your, your mind is preoccupied from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And to not really have that right now um, is an adjustment. So no different than anybody else. Uh, everybody's world has been turned upside down. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, both the NHL and the AHL will get back on the ice. Got the, the uncertainty that surrounds both leagues is pretty pronounced and maybe even more so for the AHL. Um, how do you kind of deal with this land of unknown or, you know, this period of not knowing when, not knowing if, not knowing how, um, as a coach who, you know, coaches in sports and, and in hockey, um, they kind of, you know, run their life with a lot of rigidity because that's that's the way you have to do it. How is it with all these question marks floating in the air for you? Yeah, we don't. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different because uh, obviously if the NHL gets started, they'll have all their teams and you know there'll be a little bit of normalcy in their day-to-day activity as far as when and how they're going to do some of the stuff that they do. Um, with us, you know, we don't know from what I've read, how many teams will come back and play. We don't know what the division play will be like, how many times we'll play each team, um, how the rosters will be put together, um, when we'll start. You know, I, I think the American League wants to try to line everything up with the NHL and when they start. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's no TV contracts in uh, the American Hockey League that, are going to allow the owners to be able to run a profitable business um, or, you know, for that matter, break even. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of uncertainty and, um, you know, right now we're just waiting to see how it's going to play out and, and hopefully there'll be some progress with uh, being able to get people in the building because it is a re- revenue generated business in the American Hockey League uh, that's done through ticket sales. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a big it's a conundrum wrapped in a riddle right now because you have too many players to develop in an organization as well. And how that plays out, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, One of the things I've always wanted to ask you about, I'm fascinated by this because you've coached in the NHL. Uh, You coach for the Islanders as a head coach. You uh, coached for the Flyers last year as a head coach and you're coaching the AHL right now. But can you explain how an AHL coach's job works? is the first priority to develop talent for the NHL team? And where does winning come in on in that formula? Well, I think first and foremost, the individual is, is probably the most important. But in saying that, you, you want to win, excuse me, you want to um, develop in the right environment too. And, and uh, to be part of a losing team and, and be successful as an individual, 
know, down the road, you'd like to think that your players benefit from the experience of winning and what it takes to win so that when they get to the NHL, they, those lessons learned from being part of a winning environment carry over to a successful team in the NHL or um, they allow the uh, opportunity, the opportunity when they get to the NHL, those experiences will make them more prepared for being in those situations when they get to the NHL. Yeah, it's, it's a lot about culture, isn't it? About the whole culture of the entire organization. Yeah, you know, um, well, with the time of COVID, I've had a little bit of time to, to read and just, you know, reading about culture and all that. And I think uh, culture is important, but um, also, you know, having a, an environment where everybody gets along and it, it's a good workplace, that's all fine and good. But uh, I think also having an identity is something that uh, is important too. And, you know, we, we can all be a, a great group of guys and, and enjoy our time working together. And, and uh, that being say, that being said, you know, there has to be an element of identity that's associated with the team. And, you know, the Flyers for so long have had an identity. You know, forget about their culture and, and what it represents, but they've had an identity where they've always been a, a tough team. It's been a hard place for, for teams to come in and play against uh, the Flyers. And, and that's a piece, that I think, that we were lacking last year and want to try to develop a little bit more this year. What What is your team identity um, around the league and, and how teams um, – how they perceive you and I think that's something that uh, our team got away from last year. You know, part of it was all, all the injuries and started with Oscar and, and um, uh, uh, Patrick uh, being out right, right from the get-go so that obviously weakened our team but uh, we had a bunch of injuries that it just seemed like there was never any continuity with anything we were doing and uh, that's something I, I feel we need to get back to. I love that you said that because I totally agree. I say it all the time. An organization has to know what its DNA is. They have to know what their identity is so they can fit those pieces within that identity and everything is moving in the same direction. Scott, also as an AHL coach, um, you know, you're developing talent. You're trying to move them to the next level. Identifying when those players are ready to go to the next level, when to open the microwave door, if you will. Like I always set the microwave for five minutes. I don't know if the food's going to be for four and a half. You know, how do you know when to open the microwave door on certain players and recommend that it's time for them to move up to the next level? Well, I, I think most general managers will tell you that uh, there's nothing wrong with being overripe. <clears throat> um, that being said, I don't think there is a perfect time for every single player that you can say, okay, well, he's got to be here in a year. He's got to be here in two years. I think a perfect example of uh, routes that the players take, you look at Oscar. Uh, he was basically here for, I think it was what, maybe four months. And you knew when he was down here, it was just, for me, it was just a getting acclimated to maybe the smaller rink and maybe more physical play in tight areas and working in those areas. Uh, but the the hockey sense, the hockey smarts was there right from the get go, and you knew his time was going to be a little bit shorter than most players. And then you have a player like uh, Robert Hag, who's a first rounder. Um, his process was just being able to identify what type of player he was going to be and, and how to play that role. And and you've seen that uh, you know he put in his time of I think it was three years, but I I would say that you could say he was ready and it probably. Uh, his third year 
uh, at the beginning of the year, but because there wasn't a, a spot available, uh, he ended up finishing out the year, and he benefited from that. And so that when he went into training camp, I think if you know you would ask us as coaches in the American League, we we could have told you he was ready in November. And, and like I said, the, the opportunity wasn't there just because they had a defenseman. And um, when he went to training camp and, and made his push for spot, he was able to stick, and he's never never looked back. So. So everybody's time frame is different, and um, I think, you know, you know, I, I tell our players all the time that you, you're not, you're running your own race. You're you're not against the clock, and there's no timetable as to when you have to get to the NHL. It's just uh, following the right path and making sure that you stick to everything that you need to do to be successful, and and um, everything will take care of itself. And when you get there, stick. That's, that's a great point. Um, it, the league's changed too. So many young players are entering this league at younger ages and having success. And uh, it, it seems less predicated on size uh, for skaters than it's ever been. Um, I, I want to ask you about Carter Hart because, you know, at your former goaltender, uh, the notion on goalies, and I, I think maybe at, at some point, a lot of goalies, some, some good years were wasted because of the notion of goalies have to really, really ripen over four or five, six years, sometimes not getting to the, to the dance until, you know, they're, 24, 25 years old. He gets there at 21. He's had success. He's built upon that success. What was it like when you first saw Carter to the point where he went up and where you see him now? Well, I think he just gets better every day. Um, you know, he's a student of the game. He looks at it. His first uh, maybe month and a half, you know, it was, it was a slow start for him. And uh, I think that uh, when Anthony Stolarz got called up, it was kind of a I don't say a wake-up call, but I, I think it made him realize how, how close he, he could be to the NHL. And, and uh, he went on to have a, a terrific next two or three weeks um, where he was outstanding. And you could all of a sudden say, you know, he's starting to get it. And um, I think one of the things that's really helped him is he, he went up in a situation where uh, I don't want to say he had to play, but he was going to be given the opportunity to play a starter's role. So I don't think it allowed him to get inside his head, you know, having a, a bad game or I think just knowing that he could go up and play and play well uh, and get on a roll. Um, so he just went out and played. And, and I think some goalies, when they're a backup, they don't get the ice time. And, uh, you know, you have one bad game, all of a sudden the doubts are there and you're not able to, to get back in because the number one is going well and the risk of uh, losing important games you know, the tendency to go back to that number one. And so he had, I think he had the benefit of, to, of being able to get in there and show what he could do. And he just kept building on that. And uh, obviously he had a tremendous year last year and played well in the playoffs. Was, I thought it was great that he got that opportunity. You know, so moving forward, he, you know, he can at least draw on those experiences and, and continue to, to grow his game. What did you see out of Morgan Frost in this past year? He came up a few times and he certainly flashed. He's a very skilled player. Um, is he ready to come out of that microwave, the proverbial microwave? Well, I think uh, for me, uh, uh, Frosty's skill level is higher than any player that we've had in, in Lehigh Valley. Um, I don't like. I don't doubt that he will get to the NHL and play in the NHL and, and be a very good player in the NHL. Um, the timetable of when he's going to get there is going to be how he handles the parts of the game that he needs to get better at, whether it's uh, consistency, um, defending, 
being uh, a guy that uh, you can trust in all situations, um, having a measure of uh, when to and when not to make plays, how you respond to the mistakes and the turnovers that you make. Um, those are all things that uh, will come with maturity. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there's no, there's not any need at all to have to teach him how to play offense. Um, it's just uh, becoming a complete package. And when he becomes a complete package, that's going to make his transition to the NHL that much easier. And, you know, I think when you look at a guy like uh, Giroux, you know, he came into the NHL as a third-line center and uh, didn't have the pressures of being a, a number one or a number two when he had guys in front of him. And as a result, he was able to grow in that role. Same similar type thing happened with David Crutchie when I was coaching Providence. And so, you know, as, as you go through your minor league experience, just being able to identify those situations, that's going to make you more prepared for the NHL so that when you go up there, you stick. You know, um, when I look at a guy like Nick Cabell, you know, he, he had stretches where you could say that he's an NHL player. Uh, but there was always that there was always something hanging over him where is he going to be able to do this long term? And uh, I think one of the things that you got to give Nick full credit for this is that he was able to go up there and basically say, you know what, I'm not going to allow you the opportunity to send me down. And I think when a player gets that mindset that he's going to bring it every single day, no days off, um, that's when it starts to change. And we see it with the players down at Lehigh all the time. That that time frame of when you identify that, you know what, I, I've got to be my, I've got to be the best ver- version of me every single day. When players identify that, that's usually when they start to turn the corner and, and things happen uh, for them positively in their careers where they start to make the, the next, the, the final move to the NHL. And, you know, whether you're a guy that's come in uh, with a lot of notoriety or not much notoriety, uh, whether it's taken you one year, two years, uh, whether you've been there like Scott Lawton and then have to come back, um, you know, there's, there's all different ways of going about it. And that's where I say each player's got to run their own race and uh, figure out what it is they need to do to get themselves that opportunity by the NHL. Is one of the things when, when a young player gets to the NHL for, for the coach to know a, what he's going to be consistently? Like I often say there's some players, for lack of a better term, I call them bipolar. The ceiling's really high, but the basement's really low. And you really kind of want to close that gap on both of those, don't you? Yeah, close the gap and uh, identifying what you're going to be in the NHL. Sometimes that's uh, a hard thing for a player to understand, you know, what his talent level is. I mean, so many times you see players, they get drafted in the first round and they're not a, a top six forward. Uh, but that isn't to say that they can't play in the NHL and make contributions. And I think one of the things that um, really helped Scott Lawton, uh, you know, he's a kid who's a first-round pick, uh, had success offensively in the OHL, you know, comes into uh, the NHL maybe a little bit too early. Uh, and when he came down to us his last time, uh, he, he was coming down to stay for the year. He was coming down to – work on the defensive part of the game. Um, Ron Hextall's instructions were, you know what, he's going to be a bottom six guy. He's going to be a penalty killer. He's going to be a shutdown guy. Uh, he's going to be able to play well against the, other team, the opposition's uh, top players. So when I was relaying that message to him, that's what we talked about. We talked about 
you know, being uh, playing against the other, other team's top lines, uh, being a top penalty killer, being good on faceoffs, uh, being a guy that can play in the last minute of a game. And um, it's one thing for me to say it, but it was, for me, what the best part about it was that Scott was willing to embrace that. And because he was willing to embrace that, you know, he, he got to the point where, you know, we talk about consistency with the players the first, you know, probably two or three months, you know, he'd have those games where it was like he wasn't doing it anymore. He didn't have the buy-in. And then all of a sudden we got halfway through the season. It, it became automatic. It, it was something that not just in the games, but you saw in practices where his intensity level had gone up. And, uh, you know, I think he started to feel like he was becoming a more complete player. And as a result, uh, he just stuck with it through the end of the year. And he, I, he was just rewarded the next year by being able to stick with uh, the Flyers for the full year and has not back. As a coach in the AHL and dealing with a lot of young players, I imagine for you, there's, there's a lot of psychiatry involved in a way too, isn't there? To, to keep guys, you know, moving in the right direction, keep reminding them that they are running their own race because, you know, you see guys that you were drafted ahead of moving up or I imagine there's a lot of that psychology keeping guys focused on, on the big picture, isn't there? Without a doubt. And, and, that big picture uh, for a 20 year old kid, it's sometimes it's hard to understand. And sometimes it's timing. You know, I, I've had conversation with players that have looked at, you know, just like you said, they've drafted, you know, say 10th and you know, somebody's drafted 15, 16, 20, 25. And they say, you know, why is this guy in the NHL? I was drafted higher. And it's, it's not a question of where you were drafted. It's about the opportunity and where, you are in the depth chart. Some teams might not, they might only have, you know, three, four solid defensemen and the team you're part of has eight solid defensemen, but there are going to be expiring contracts and uh, doors will open for you. And, you know, you, you look at the, uh, the time frame of uh, Travis Sanheim and, and Phil Myers, uh, there comes a point where, you know, they can say, you know, they feel like they're ready to play in the NHL, but the doors uh, close a little bit because of uh, the personnel that's there and the contracts that are there, but eventually it opens and you've just got to keep your focus on doing what you need to do to be successful and not worry about, you know, what's in front of you. Just worry about your, your day-to-day responsibilities to become better as a player. Scott, last thing for you, um, you, you know, going into to this season and you, you get guys coming from the college game and I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking about Cam York in particular um, are the players coming from college different now than, than they've ever been more ready for the pro game perhaps than, than they've ever been? He played with the NTDP and we know what that draft class was like. Oh my goodness. Insane. And as a, a U.S. hockey guy, I know that you're pretty proud of that as well. Uh, but are the, are the players that you're getting from the college game far more developed than they've ever been? Physically, they have a huge, um, they have a huge advantage over the, the junior kids, but a part of that's because they're older um, and have been maybe exposed. They have more, more time to do the off-ice training uh, because of the schedule, basically playing weekend games for, I don't know, they play, if they play 40 games, you're looking at probably a 15-week schedule. Uh, so I, I think because of the, the amount of training that they do preseason, postseason, during the season, they have an advantage. Um, but that being said, uh, the junior kids have an advantage of, um, of maybe a, a bit of a grind of the travel, the amount of games. I, I, I've always found that, that the, sometimes the, the junior players 
um, they get better in the second half and don't wear down as much because they're used to the longer schedule. Whereas the college players in January, they usually hit a wall. And, uh, you know, things that were happen positively for them in the first half of the year start to slow down. But, you know, like I, I think you mentioned the, the national program. I, when I look at Joel Farabee, the, the maturity in his game, I think a lot of that came from playing a year of college, um, having the benefit of, um, I think they get a, a little more rope in the national program, whereas in college it's, it's probably a little more defined as to what you can and can't do. And um, I think that was you know, one of the advantages that Joel had coming in as a pro, even though he was only 19, uh, the maturity in his game and identifying what he could and couldn't do uh, was much higher than most 19-year-olds. Yeah, that's a great point. Scott, I, I always love talking to you. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I hope everybody is, is safe, happy, healthy, and uh, for you going forward. And can't wait to see you guys and everybody back on the ice and, and getting this game back where it belongs, at, especially at this time of year. Thanks for doing this, and we'll talk soon. All right, great. Thank you for having me. Special thanks to Scott Gordon for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. And don't forget, coming up on Wednesday's episode, every Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, when we give you a new one, uh, we will have Morgan Frost. He will join us. Scott Gordon coached him last year. You just heard him talk about him. And we saw him for 20 games in the NHL last year and scored his first two National Hockey League goals. And also, one of the signings that Chuck Fletcher made during the NHL pause, Linus Sandin. He's underway playing in Sweden. We'll hear about that and much more on the next episode of Flyers Daily. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known.